And welcome to another episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party. On today's ep, we're joined by the comedian Josie Long. Josie has always been a huge inspiration to me as someone who does comedy that is political, hopeful and celebratory. In this interview, we talk about class representation within the arts, Arts Emergency, the charity which she co-founded in 2011, and her experiences as an avowed socialist comedian entering the world of televised comedy. When I was at uni, I would have said that I was left-wing and said loads of stuff, but I didn't really do much. I went on the anti-war march, but I didn't really do much. I was, like, busy having fun and thinking about how to become a comedian and just hanging out, and I just didn't really think. I just was not that political, even though I would have said very clearly that I was political. And then, uh, again, when I got to... London after uni and I mean everyone was just a bit not everyone lots of people doing really good activism but I'd be like a fan of Mark Thomas Mm. I'd be like yes that's good that's politics I'd go to Glastonbury and be like yes yes I like all of this but I was just very complacent because we were in the Labour government and everyone was like well obviously they're not as good as we'd like but you know you know and then it was basically in 2009 I just knew the Conservatives were going to get in and I met up with some activists who were like these like little fairy godmothers, uh, fairy god parents, I guess, for me. Um, one of whom, I suppose all of them were mainly green activists, although one of them is more about electoral reform. And one of them, they all do really interesting things now, now like one of them uh, helped write a book on drug reform and just really interesting, smart women. And... Yeah, they came to a show and I was saying, look, I really, really want to get more involved in activism. And I just basically got to a point where I was like, doing comedy is lovely and I have a great time and I make a living from it. And that's not good enough. You know, like, that's not good. So I just wanted to see how I could, like, justify my existence on earth and feel less selfish. And then I just started, like, writing comedy about that and thinking a lot about that. And then... Gradually in 2010, I met my friend Neil and I was doing some stuff like making videos for a green charity at climate camp and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it took a while for me to find like the people I wanted to find. And my friend Neil and I had a lot of chats between 2010 and 2012 and went to a lot, meet a lot of people. And basically, gradually, the idea of arts emergency became kind of refined and real. And then in 2013, we set up as a charity. And was it 2012? Oh my god, I can't even bloody remember. We got the offices in twenty twelve. 
I mean, who's to say? But it was one of those years and we had a great time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should explain to our listeners what Arts Emergency is. I will. i tell you what it was. In 2010, I wrote some material that was the difference between being nice and doing nice things and being good and doing good things. And being nice is like, hmm, hi, everyone. Yeah. I do yoga. And doing nice is like, practice self-care. Well, so obviously that's slightly more political, but like, being nice is like, mm, we all go, you know, and all like, and do it. And then the joke was like that doing nice things is setting up a comprehensive healthcare sure. um, system that everyone can pay into. Being nice is not causing harm in any specific measurable way. Yeah, but being <laughs> nice is like a bit like, oh guys, I just love living with you all, but one of you at my butter and you need to replace it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. whereas like being good is like, Everyone has butter. Anyone can come in. Yeah, we've caught, we've formed a butter co-op. Yeah, radical butter acceptance. But it's definitely more preachy then. I, I think I, I try to always undermine myself. Anyway, Arts Emergency came out of the fact that me and my friend Neil came from what you would loosely describe as non-traditional mm-hmm. backgrounds for university, and had difficulty while at university because of varying levels of support readiness confidence that sort of thing and when we were talking like it was over the time when they tripled university fees which is fucking craven and anybody who makes apologies for tuition fees is on to the wrong thing i it's my least favorite thing and you get it every time you say anything in public about tuition fees, you get people being, um, actually, they're actually really progressive because, um, actually, um, if you take out a big loan, but you don't pay it back. Um, you don't know much, you don't pay it back. And it's like, well, firstly, the interest still accrues. Secondly, they have already sold off my student debt. You have no idea what they're going to do with that debt in the future and how those people will deal with that debt. If you want to pretend it's all benign and not a real debt, look to America and look to how people are aggressively pursued. Oh, my fucking God. But on top of that, it's not progressive that people earning the least have these big accruing debts, which are still going to be taken from them at lower and lower thresholds over and over again. But also, like, at a very simple level, all my rich friends from Oxford University left uni with no debt because they took out no loans or took out loans, invested them and made a profit. Mm -hmm. And all of the poorest people I know from university left with a massive debt. That's not progressive. Not to mention the fact that it's not a long-term plan. There's black holes in funding. It leads to the marketisation of subjects. It it leads to, like, absolute kind of uh, degradation of thought and intellectual ambition and creative ambition. All that shit. So I was furious. And initially we were like, why don't we? And there's a bit in the office where Michael Scott promises to pay 10 kids tuition for university and then he completely lets them down and just sort of runs away. And we, I remember watching it being like, we could pay someone's tuition. We could set up a fund to pay 10 people's tuition a year. And then basically we talked and talked and talked and talked and realised that raising, raising about 200 grand a year mm-hmm. is a mercenary thing and not that's not really possible for a startup charity sure it's very ambitious because what we'd need would be 200 grand a year income on top of another 100 grand a year for like they want you to have reserves Mm -hmm. and then if we had staff members we'd suddenly need to instantly be raising half a million pounds a year Mm -hmm. or something which we there's no fucking way and so we just started thinking like well why do we want to do this what's going on and it's because it was because we couldn't bear the fact there were so many barriers you know when I was at university I felt so cast adrift and so 
uncertain and underconfident. And all I'd wanted was support in certain ways that I didn't get. And then on top of that, Neil was pushed into pursuing like law, even though he's a creative person, because his parents hadn't been to university and they were like, if you're going to go to university, you've got to do a proper job. And, you know, obviously the children of the rich are not pressured in the same way necessarily. Yeah. They can do classics or Just because whatever. their parents know they'll land on their feet, so it, it's not that much of a fear if they... Yeah, and also, I mean, once I was in first class, courtesy of Channel 4, going up to a to, to film a TV gig, and there was a guy on my train who talked to me uh, at length without my invitation. And he worked for, like, Accenture or something. Uh, and I remember, because I knew that the people, that his company, maybe it wasn't Accenture, but it was people that are partly responsible for the... Um, detention camps on Manus Island Wow! and it was really weird because I I knew that and we were sort of skirting around it and I was a bit like how can you sleep at night mm. you know and he said about his children I really remember it he was like yeah I don't want them to be squares like me I want them to be poets and flanners and it's like that to me is like are we there and then he spent this whole time saying you don't know what it's like people on council estates don't want to work and I know there's a whole underclass of people who don't want to work all this shit and I was thinking well firstly you don't know where I'm from and secondly how fucking dare you and thirdly you've literally just told me you want your children to be lazy and it's it's like the combined thinking of that it's like of course the arts don't matter, we shouldn't fund the arts, but I want my children to go to private school where they'll play uh, instruments and do the arts, and I want them to study the arts so that they can get all of that enjoyment and pleasure from their lives. And then, of course, they can make shit tons of money, and then when they're 35, they can have a crisis, quit that, and pursue their own fun, arty careers. And it's like, grim, grim, grim. Anyway, so we decided that if we ran something that did mentoring, but not mentoring the way that most people do it, which is like tick box boring bullshit that doesn't change people's lives, we wanted to create a kind of proxy familial situation where we could get people who were in the industry to come in and 10 years after they've left uni, give support to 16-year-olds that they needed but didn't get. And to create relationships that last for a year, two year, three year, four year, five years. And so that once somebody's in, they're a part of like the network and they're a part of the family of the organisation and they are allowed to use our network of people, keep in touch with people, form bonds that aren't just like tick box arms length things. And um, the good thing about that is it's powered by enthusiasm, not by the need to raise money. And so what's good too is it's not really focusing on money. It's focusing on other things that are more important. Um, and it's focusing on kind of the arts and sort of emphasising how much that things are passion projects and heart projects and um, how much it's about kind of life force and enthusiasm and shit like that. But as a result, it's really taken um, take caught fire and kind of taken root because like, Everyone's got enthusiasm. So many people are crying out to do things. And what I found is when you find a good idea, you realise that there's hundreds of people who are like, oh, thank fuck, now I've got something I can join in with. Or now I've got something I can give £5 a month to. And it's funded basically by crowdfunding. We get the odd major donation. I once won 25 grand on a quiz show. So that's basically how we do it. And um, uh, it's good fun. Um, I don't really do much anymore. I'm just kind of vaguely involved because we have about... 
six or seven members of staff now. Mm-hmm. It's a real deal. And it, it's supported. It's gone from 10 people to something like 800 students being wow. supported. And one college to, I don't even know how many, but so many around London and around the country as well. Yeah. And it's our goal to become nationwide. Um, and it's just really, really good. Like we had a really wonderful thing, which is two years ago we met this student and when we first met them, they were like, I don't think uni's for me. I don't know what to do. I haven't really, they hadn't really heard of theatre. And they just got a place to study at Cambridge. And I'm like, ah, Because it's very conflicting. Like with these institutions that are traditionally conservative and traditional, like bastions of privilege, some people are like, fuck them. Don't go near them. Fuck mm. them all. But the way I feel is like, no. If your school looked like prefabs, you need to go to a university that looks like Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. And if your school looked like Hogwarts, you need to fuck off. Um, I don't really mean that. But if your school looks like Hogwarts, Hogwarts, you don't need to go to Oxford or Cambridge yeah, or Durham. You've had all that stuff. Because I'm a little bit like infiltrate the institutions and train the institutions. But um, that's a very long-winded way of talking about it, but it's brilliant. We have a network of a couple of thousand people in the arts and humanities who just provide time and expertise. We have done work experience with artists and production companies. and It's just fucking great. I love it. And I think it's a way to gradually change culture in the absence of anything coming from above. Also, because the major effort is to reduce, not increase inequality. Mm-hmm. And the government has increased inequality and, you know, put strains on the education system and taken art and humanities as much as they can off of the curriculum. So, like, well, the problem is you need people who understand what it means to be poor and you need people who understand what it means to come from a background where you have been told you cannot do what you want and you've been told you cannot have certain types of career and of course none of those people understand or care or are willing to understand or care so it's very frustrating but and it compounds itself as well because these people can't see art made by people in those positions they can never be presented with media that will help them empathise with it as well yeah. So it sort of it entrenches itself once again. Yeah, and the more art is made by people who went to the same few schools, and the more even actors only come from a smaller background, the worse it is. So there's some really there's a really cool project called the Open Doors Project, which helps finance people from uh, low income backgrounds to go to drama school auditions, and then I think and hope it helps kind of give them support to find funding, because that's a nightmare. But just if auditions cost you, like, 25 quid a go, yeah. or more than that, like, sorry, I don't, I'm not up to date, but, like, if you live in Sheffield and you don't have any money and you're auditioning at Lambda and it costs you X amount to register, and then who's paying your train fare? And who's, like, getting you a lunch when you're done? Like, all that sort of thing. You know, obviously bring a packed lunch. All right, fine, whatever. But you see what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's a guy called David Mameni who started that up an actor it's really cool um yeah there are a few initiative and initiatives and it's like building but it's the same with uh, the fringe there's this thing called fringe of color and the woman who set it up uh, a friend of mine was telling me that basically she couldn't keep up with the demand and the level of people who wanted to participate and it's because of of course like it's been crying out for something like that it's such a brilliant idea and she's she's tapped into something that people are desperate to change and she's done it in a way that actually will work. And I think that's the luck. You need the luck of like picking something that could catch fire, catch yeah. hold. 
It sounds a lot like myself and Josie found our political awakening at the hands of the same event. Going into university, I also would have described myself as a socialist. But for me, it was almost like a hereditary title, a, a floating signifier. My actual personal politics were uh, loose, ill-defined and untethered from any genuine understanding. And to my eternal shame, I was one of the influx of students who, targeted by the Lib Dems, threw away my vote in the belief that they'd be one to stop the massive hikes in tuition fees. Um, what's worse is that I lived in Nick Clegg's constituency of Sheffield Hallamshire at this time. So, well, basically all the mess that has ensued since 2010 is fractionally my personal responsibility. Mia culpa. I'm sorry. I got confused. I was, I was 19. I was lured in against the backdrop of David Cameron and Gordon Brown's massive bailouts to the banking sector. This man who could remember people's names on televised debates. He sang to me a siren song. He sang to me a gentle melody in my confused adult brain. He sounded like change. We put aside our political differences to provide our country with stable leadership. But I also meet people who are disappointed and angry that we couldn't keep all our promises, above all our promise not to raise tuition fees. And to those people, I say this. We made a promise before the election that we would vote against any rise in fees under any circumstances. But that was a mistake. I know that we fought to get the best policy we could in those circumstances, but I also realise that isn't the point. There's no easy way to say this. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. We made a pledge, we didn't stick to it, and for that I'm sorry. While Josie responded to this by founding a charity, I responded by lying on my back, feeling disaffected, and playing Nick Clegg runs on Fallout New Vegas. Nick Clegg runs are, um, any open-world RPG playthrough in which you agree to the first quest line you were given, then just do the opposite of that and see how far you can get through the game before you have to turn it off and accept a seven-figure salary at Facebook. Yeah, I feel like because the fringe is a massive like epicenter of this this debate crops up every every year, but it's becoming like more and more obvious i feel like we're hearing less and less from working class voices at the fringe oh because God, the, the fringe children goes, of celebrities i'm yeah, my argument. it's incredible yeah yeah but but yes i know like you know there are lots of people who will very prominently say i am from this background i'm here to tell my story and they do you do know about them and know them and hear about them and they do well like um i was th- it's like like sophie willen is a really good example um, someone who's doing incredibly well and who's still kind of advocating and, you know, fighting the fight. And, like... And also there's always a debate around, like, 
is the fringe accessible or not? And in lots of ways, because of things like the free fringe, it has broadened out in some ways in recent years. But maybe I'm making excuses. In lots of ways, it hasn't. Accommodation is more expensive than it's ever, ever been. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pe- lots of venues are really up for charging people a lot of money. And then on top of it, like, I know what it was like when I was temping. You have to try and raise an entire month's worth of additional money to pay two sets of rent, one of which is extortionate. And you live in London, so the other is fucking extortionate if you live in London. So then, like, you know, obviously it's really difficult. What I'm glad is that there are people who really, really want to counteract it. Um, And also, I think the debate used to be muddied insofar as it used to be. The fringe is full of all these bougie working class people doing faffy, silly nonsense. Mm -hmm. And the real working men's clubs are full of real comedians who do real jokes. And I'm kind of glad that that's not, that's definitely not the debate. It's not like people are going, oh, this this interesting work is alienating working class people. It's much more just about... Who is getting? Yeah, now it's can we space. also let working class people participate in doing this interesting stuff? Yes, as opposed to just denigrating the arts. Yes, you yes, know. yes, and I think that's really important because I think you know it, it, it's so like offensive mm. to act as if if you're from a certain background you wouldn't be interested in interesting things, yeah, exactly. or that the fringe wouldn't be for you because of that. Mm. When actually it's just money and privilege protecting itself um, I was a bit sad this year I think I wasn't reviewed by a single mother I'm writing a show about motherhood and I was like I don't think a single mother has reviewed the show and like one of the people who reviewed it is this guy it's always thought I was shit anyway but like in his reviews like naughty men getting told off and I was like that is the opposite of what my show is like and I feel like there's no fucking way that a mother would have read read, read sure. it that way and so it's like not even just that people come from a certain background, it's that, like, there's not people who've had certain experiences doing stuff. There's the representation element, but representation will also affect the political makeup of the arts as well, like... Yeah. Like, the the old... The worst lie in the world is that all comedians are this really lefty monolith, because, like... That feels like, if it ever was true, it feels like it's less true than ever. Oh, my God. Yeah. Look at the reactions to Corbyn since 2015. Yeah. How is that possibly... Like, Corbyn proposing the mildest social democracy, like, the most, like, really not that radical stuff that would hopefully just help turn us slightly yeah. away from this the This is furnace. like milquetoast social democracy. Yeah, please, yeah. guys. We're just begging that people can have basic fucking rights. And, you know, the amount of people who, you know, are still... The, the problem we have is that our media is statistically the most right-wing in all of Europe and that it is much easier for them to sell the narrative that everything is biased towards the left because then it aids them to push things further to the right. Um, but it's really, really ridiculous. Like, I mean, like, I, I don't see people saying anything really radically left-wing on any shows at all. You've got a few people trying really hard to stick their necks out Mm. and say, vote Labour in 2017. That's about as far as you've got. And I feel like... I feel like the landscape is such that there are loads of comics who probably would self-define as socialist, but the actual content of their act in order to not lose out on audience... 
Yeah. It hedges a little bit towards that kind of have I got news for you style centrism where, yeah. it's where a, they it's a vague leftist is, is just criticising the Conservative Party but not really ever saying like Let's and therefore, yeah, it's never. And know. also putting the boot in Corbyn whenever they can, yeah. following the most obvious like media lines about Brexit with like he's done fuck all, and it's like well he's not. It's just boring and complicated, and it's been lasting for three years, and none of us can keep up with it. He's not. He's not done nothing. He's not done what you wanted immediately. But unfortunately, what you wanted immediately is electoral suicide. Because look at um, look at every other party that did what you wanted. Oh, my least yeah. favorite thing in the world is people saying to me like. The most incompetent Tory government in a hundred years and Labour can't beat them. And I'm like, okay, Change UK did exactly what you wanted and they poll at 0%. Why didn't your guys do well? Tell me. Because those are exactly the guys that you are talking about. Tell me why aren't they? And like, someone like Matt Ford, like, has very different political views to me. But he's somebody that would be seen as a big lefty. Who somebody's like disavowed the Labour Party, I mean, supporting the, the centre. The fact that Matt Ford would, but that, that's exactly my point, right? Matt Ford, who like invites members of the Conservative Party onto his show and seems to be like friends with them, or interviewed Nigel Farage and laughed and laughed. Perfect, like, and that's that's now. And this is the not to be rude to him if he ever listens. Like, I, I don't. This is not me being rude to him at all. This is just literally the way that people only view things through this silly outdated prism that doesn't allow for the fact that there is massive nuance between what different people would and wouldn't do yeah and what different people think is praxis or not but like literally like he obviously thinks that by interviewing Farage even in a a aura of bonhomie what he's doing is just kind of letting people know what's what for me personally I couldn't do that but that's a traditional centrist position of like let's Let's destroy fascism with debate. Yeah. But you, do you want to go like, was that not one in 1945? When, yeah. when are we allowed to say it's one? Why does it have to be rehashed every year? Yeah, and seems like, that question's still open again. Strange. Yes, and it seems that by putting people onto television, you might be continually opening the question. The thing that scares me, and this is nothing to do with Matt Ford, who is from a really like working class background and isn't somebody from privilege, but like, I think a lot about how. For some people and some comedians from a lot of privilege, politics is never personal. Like, I think if you're from lots and lots and lots of money or lots and lots and lots of status, you don't really appreciate that some people are on the edge and political decisions will affect their lives and their children's lives forever. Or racially motivated attacks will attack a person. That is a person's life. It's not... It's not a, a, a debate or something. And I think that's the sort of thing about taking away the idea that you can say, hello, I'm a person, I have this political opinion, and you're not neutral, and you can't be balanced about everything. Uh, and the idea that, like, if you're very... If you're from a lot of privilege, it's like, oh, come on. It's not that bad, you yeah. know, because your life is on a certain even keel. You know, obviously it will have its own personal ups and downs, but politics will not affect your life in that way. I feel like it's sort of built into the education system that, like, you go to a grammar school or, like, a nice uni and there'll be, like, a prominent debating society. Yeah, my school won all the debates. And that way of, like, debating societies must be the most centrist thing you can think of, where it reduces truth to a game, to a sport. Yeah. that I think that's how, like, at least one side of the... Of Parliament sees it. It's like, I just want to win this game. We're playing a series of yeah of, of bouts. And also, you know, you literally have people in the Conservative Party saying, oh, God, all this chat about poverty. There's no poverty. I don't see it. You're like, but 
There's literally people starving to death, mate. It's your yeah. fault that you're not seeing it. Like, why are you not It's your fault for getting a cab everywhere. Literally, if you just walk from one place to another, you'll find everything you need to know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, I had a really hard time when I did Have I Got News For You. I was very bad on it. And partly because I was nervous and scared. And partly because when I got introduced, they basically introduced me by saying, this is Josie Long, she hates Tory, so half of you are going to think she's a cunt. And I was like, great, great intro, guys, thanks. They all hate me now. <laughs> and partly because in rehearsal, Ian Hislop was really friendly, and then in the recording, he was like, fuck you. And I was like, what? But also because I just assumed that everyone hates Michael Gove because he's horrific. Yeah. And so the chair was Alexander Armstrong, and I was like, oh my God, fucking Michael Grove. And he was like, I actually think he's doing a really good job. So, what's he done? Wow. I know, and I was thinking, your kids are in private school, mate. Yeah. What do you fucking care? He's not changing their life. He's not forcing them to study kings and queens, is he? And it was very interesting because I was on with Alexander Armstrong, who is friends with, or who is rumoured to be friends with George Osborne, that lot, and Jacob Rees Mogg, who is terrifying. And the whole narrative of the show was, isn't it funny how posh we are? Me and you, Jacob, are so posh. We're so posh. And Paul's working class, but we're so posh. And I remember feeling so provoked and upset and freaked out because I was like, there's no space for me in this. Because I'm supposed to be being a comedian, but I'm so upset that you guys are doing this clowning about, like... 2013 so something had happened I can't remember what it was but it was in a week where I knew that like maybe something like the bedroom tax I'm sorry I can't remember exactly but it was in a week where I was thinking this isn't funny like you're laughing about how rich you are and and I was just thinking I'm supposed to be a comedian but you're like a joke and I can't do this so I was very tense and upset and as a result I found myself like quite stressed and serious and I'd done this one thing because I was thinking, I have to have a big pop at Reese Mogg. Like, I can't just be friendly with him. Like, yeah. fuck this guy. And I also looked up his voting record and was like, there's no way. Like, look what he's done. And I think that's the difference between me and people who may be able to be slightly more magnanimous. Although I did go on Celebrity Chase with Giles Corrin and Boris Johnson's sister. And I was so desperate to win 45 grand for Arts Emergency that I just did not treat them. Yeah. I was just like, we're pals, we're pals, come on. And then we didn't win. And I was like, fuck this shit. I'm scabbed for nothing. But I really <laughs> wanted Arts Emergency. It must be the worst scab. Yes. I wanted Arts Emergency to win 45 grand. And I kept thinking, just think of the money. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, there was a bit where I, as a joke, it was like, who's the old one out? Is it... Basil Brush, Stevie Nicks, Jacob yeah. Rees-Mogg. And I went, well, we know that Jacob Rees-Mogg voted against equal marriage and we know that he voted for the bedroom tax. And I just listed all these horrific things he yeah. voted for. So, so, you know, we've got to see whether Basil Brush hates gay people and hates this at the other. Yeah. And I think it must have even got cut out. But Jacob Rees-Mogg, straight away, yes, I sometimes vote with the government. What's your problem? Yeah. So defensive, so mean. And I was like, yep, yeah, that's you. Yeah, that's the real you. Yeah. You're not friendly, but... Do you know, do you remember if they, that made the edit or...? I would, I didn't watch it because I couldn't bear it because yeah, I did so that's... badly. I, it finished, I ran off, I cried and cried in the dressing room and I ran home. I found it so difficult. I mean... And I was really gutted because I loved the show and I wanted to do better and be better, but it just wasn't something I mean, that, there, that, that time I could handle. against you, like you were, if anything, there to... And charitably to provide, to ba- like charitably to be providing balance cynically to be provoked by it and cause yeah yeah, yeah. like and i remember there was a real thing where a couple of other female comedians have told me that their introductions were 
horrifically bad, as if deliberately, like, designed to undermine. Mm. Um, I mean, there's always been, like, a, a boys' club criticism put at almost all the panel shows. Are just Yeah, although I think, like, I'm really glad that some shows have really worked hard to change mm. that. And also, like, I mean, I haven't really seen much of them because I haven't seen anything. The only thing I watch is Staff Let's Flats over and over again. It's great. I love it so yeah, much. It's so good. <laughs> if I were now going into things that I did when I was 24, 25, mm-hmm. I would enjoy them. But when I was a kid, I just used to spend the whole time trying not to cry because I was just like, I can't cope with this. This is so yeah. scary. And the crowd hates me because I'm some random woman who no one knows. And, yeah. you know, the, everyone else is so confident. And it was really, yeah, intense sort of fuck up good opportunities through terror. But um, it's interesting. And that's the other thing. Like, um, I did a panel with Nish for Arts Emergency and he made the point that since they've added more female representation on TV shows, there's a whole new generation of female comedians. Mm. And it's exponential. There's so many more than there were. And they're all fucking wonderful. And they're all so different from each other. And it's because... When they were younger, they were watching women on TV and enjoying themselves. And it's like, that's fucking simple. And I have no doubt that the fact that finally they're like, oh, like, people of lots of races live in this country. We ought to, like, actually let people on television who represent the people who live here. Like, I feel like, obviously, that's going to, like, change who then feels like they are allowed to, like, participate. This is where I fucking hate when people assume that Comedy and entertainment is left wing. Yeah. Because I think for a lot of people, or for, for some people who started out or have become very privileged in show business, what being left wing is reduced to is being nice and seeming oh, nice. Yeah. But being nice and seeming nice is really not challenging the status mm-hmm. quo. And so, you know, I keep thinking about Catelyn Moran writing an article the week or two before the election, slagging off Jeremy Corbyn mm-hmm. and saying, I've made a terrible mistake supporting Labour and how awful that was and how wrong-headed it was and how, and how I just kept thinking, like, for her, she's thinking, oh, I'm going to be socially embarrassed by this. I need to distance myself from... Yeah, but she's not thinking. We are having an election where the options are a Labour government or a Tory government. Mm-hmm. And... If before the election I put all my energy into supporting a Labour government, we might get rid of the Tory government. Mm-hmm. And those are the only two eventualities that there are choices between. And if I undermine the Labour chances, I will help the Tory government in an election setting. Mm-hmm. But I, I've just never forgotten it because I've always thought, yeah, politics is reduced to this kind of ultra remain you know we're nice we're left wing but also fuck you and fuck Corbyn and blah 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 you know and like it it sort of takes all the like ideology and history and importance and struggle out of it and just makes it become like of course I'm a lefty I'm lovely I mean I'm a landlord but I'm a lefty you know I mean obviously that's going too far she wrote another piece that was I'd love to have free tuition fees but it's just not practical and it was like no it's not about whether or not you're nice and it's not even about whether or not you're good or perfect like nobody's any of those things it's just about like continually trying and continually trying to like be useful and like be a part of the fucking struggle and Hmm. I don't know. 
I think when things get more divisive, especially with fascism on the rise, like this is a tense and fucked up time. But I also think we shouldn't ever say fascism is on the rise. That's number. That's determinism. We shouldn't say fascism is on the rise because it's like saying it's like making words real. Mm-hmm. It, like fascism is threatening and terrible. Yeah. It is definitely being able to reach more audiences because of the internet. Yeah. But helping perpetuate the narrative that it is on the rise helps them to consider themselves on the rise and for people to be scared enough to help them go on the rise. And I think it's really important to say there is a fascist threat which is being fought and will need to be stopped mm-hmm. as opposed to... They're doing real well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because I, what worries me is like, I remember there was an um, article by a journalist called Phoebe Luckhurst, mm-hmm. Never Forgotten Her, in the Evening Standard, that was talking about kind of the rise of the fash pack, literally. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a quote. And like the fascies, and like sh- pictures of all these kind of fascists. And sort of saying like, isn't it weird? I mean, they're all so smart and well-dressed and blah, blah, blah. And I had some stand-up about it because I was like, they're not going to, Phoebe, they're not going to, when they round up the journalists, they're not going to be like, not you, you were nice about my hat. You know, it's yeah. not how it is. And also it's because I told a French woman who was reading it, I said like, in bad French, like a week ago, that was promoting fascism. And she said, oh, me kill scandal. And it was so fucking great. But what we want to say is there's a massive rise in people caring about the environment and voting mm-hmm. green. That's also true. There's more people voting green than anybody voting for Tommy Robinson or whatever. Mm. That's much more of a threat in a good way. That's much more of a big thing. Good threat. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think fascism, it's not that it's a threat, it's that it is a problem that is not being well dealt with, partly because it serves the people in power to have it. Like that whole, you know that picture that people share around that says liberals are more scared of socialists than they are of fascists. Yeah. And liberals here is, I think, a bit of a tricky, slippy term, but like... Very wealthy people who are landed gentry would be under much more of a threat from a socialist government than they ever would be from a fascist one. Mm -hmm. And very, very wealthy capitalists, similarly, and big corporations, similarly, and people who have massive amounts of money in offshore. And so, like, power is not going to be challenged by Tommy Robinson, far from it. Tommy Robinson is a grifter who wants to make as much money as possible. It's not... So, basically, there is a problem of domestic radicalisation of young white men in particular. My friend Owen, who is the journalist, Owen Jones, got attacked in the street because he is a left-wing journalist. He's not even advocating for landlords to be imprisoned, you know? He's not even advocating for moderate stuff like that. He's advocating for very gentle stuff, like people should have healthcare that's reliable. People should have houses that are a decent enough place to live. Um, and he's become a target for the far right. That's fucking terrifying. But I found that in my response, I got really upset, and I was like, I made a fucking video saying this was a threat, and I got so much harassment, ah! and I had to delete it, because I was like, firstly, it's not about me. Secondly, this this is like one attack too many, but this isn't the first person to be attacked. Like, the far right are fucking racist. People like people of colour are being, like, obvious. So this is all so fucking obvious, but you sort of don't realise that you're, like, in this little niche where you're like oh my God, like, my friend has been hurt. This is the first thing that's ever happened. It's like, no fucking way. Like, these people are, like, monstrous, obviously, and we've all, all like, been fighting against them for a long time, but, like, I think it's really important to sort of... It's important to fight them. 
Yeah, you've got to fight it them. Is, but also not to assume that they're like that's new or sudden, yeah. uh, and not to assume that there aren't people who've been out there for like literally all of their forty-five years on Earth having to struggle against them and having to live the reality that they're a fucking target if these can't do like, you know. Um, yeah, so I guess my closing statement is language and how you use it affects reality. And so I fucking... My least favourite thing is when people use the term virtue signalling mm-hmm. but pertain not to be on the right. So I'm like, where's that term from? And then they go, well, it doesn't matter. If I buy a hat from Marks and Spencers, I don't live in Marks and Spencers. And it's like, yeah, but if you buy a hat from Marks and Spencers that says, I am a Nazi cunt on it, you are basically wandering around with that label. And, like, I think using their term, minology puts them into things and saying things like the far right is on the rise is actually not helpful to us. What we want to say is the left and the far left is at its best position electorally for 40 years. And that's true. In 2017, we polled at 40%. Don't forget that because like, that's not what the papers are telling you. That's not what the chat is. But the truth of the matter is there are 40% of people more or less in this country that are still amenable to a socialist ideology and like yes the far right are a problem that needs to be solved that is not being dealt with but we have more tools than ever to try and at least people are getting wise to what they have been doing and how they connect with seemingly less far political things so basically it's like game on fuck you all is that helpful yeah it's great thank you very much please edit out me fumbling around (laughs) don't worry Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean, with additional music by Sean Morley. If you want to find out more about Arts Emergency, you can look them up on social media or on their website, artsemergency.org. And if you want to see more of Josie, keep your eyes peeled because she'll be touring her new show, Tender, in spring 2020. If you enjoyed the episode and want to take some of your vital energy, pluck it from your chest and place it in the core of our vast and mighty engine, then you could do so in the form of subscribing, writing a kind-hearted review on iTunes, or telling a cherished friend about us. Thank you. Please enjoy your life.